Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events behind the scenes footage and so much more plus you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon it's in you please be in it visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now that's podcast with an s thanks from kqed From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Farida Javala Romero. Low-wage frontline workers have kept Californians fed and vulnerable populations cared for since the start of the pandemic. But how well have we cared for them? We'll hear about people working in restaurants, grocery stores, home health care, and other industries who feared losing income or their jobs if they took time off to recover from COVID-19. And as the state moves toward a full reopening next month, we'll look at the lessons that came out of the pandemic on how we can better protect low-wage frontline workers we depend on. That's next on Forum, right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Farida Javala Romero. Low-wage frontline workers have faced a high risk while at work lately. In the first 10 months of the pandemic, deaths among the state's essential workers made up almost 90% of additional deaths among working-age Californians, compared to the year before, according to a recent analysis by the University of California, Merced. In this hour, we'll look at how essential workers were or were not protected during the pandemic. And as we reopen, could the spotlight turn on frontline workers during this pandemic brings safer, better workplace conditions for low-wage workers. Joining us first is Stanley Edwards. He works at San Francisco's largest homeless shelter. Stanley, welcome to Forum. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Good morning. Um, So tell us about your job. What do you do? Well, I'm a a frontline worker at the uh, shelter at MSC South in San Francisco. Great and and uh, go ahead. Yes, no. I, I heard you're a monitor. What what does that mean? Uh, I, well, I, actually, it's a program A, but we monitor the uh, the clients that we serve. Um, we make sure that they're bed fed, uh, that that they're safe, and that uh, we try to provide their needs. Um, Whatever they may be. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like you're in contact with a lot of people in your day to day. Very a lot. Did you feel like you were protected against COVID nineteen while at work? No, not really. Uh, lack of information from the city. Uh, when they make changes, uh, they would bring it in at the very last minute. And we had no time to prepare for what was going on. We had come to work, and we would just find out that 
these changes have been made and we have to live up to the changes and we had no time to prepare for them. Hmm. What about, um, you know, basic essential things like face masks, uh, other uh, protective equipment? Uh, did your employer provide those? Was that was that enough of that? Well, yeah, we did get those. Uh, but at one point in the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we were short. Um, and due to the city not providing the proper PPE, uh, we had to kind of like plan for ourselves or, um, you know, wait on things to come. Mm-hmm. And so you, I mean, you were saying you weren't, uh, you didn't feel safe at work. When cases started rising in the city and across the state, uh, what were things like for you at work? And did you feel like you uh, you should, you know, continue, like come come back every day to do your job? Uh, well, it was very scary for all of us because uh, we were, uh, we are the biggest shelter in San Francisco, and we had a big outbreak, uh, I think about between 70 and 80 people um, in the facility, uh, counting uh, clients and workers, was uh, was plagued by the pandemic. Uh so it was frontline news that, uh, you know, about 70, 80 people were, uh, had contracted the uh, coronavirus. And uh, we had closed down for a few minutes uh, for so-called deep clean uh, that the city is supposed to have been providing. So uh, when we reopened, it was just we were on pins and needles. Hmm. And did did you get sick uh, with COVID during the pandemic? No, I happened to miss that one. Thank God. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> but some of your coworkers, it sounds like, were were impacted. Yeah. Yes. It was a number of my coworkers that were infected. Hmm. Well, I mean, we're going to be talking um, during the show about some of these concerns that workers like yourself have had uh, about, you know, staying safe in their uh, work sites. If there's something you could uh, tell employers on protections for workers as we reopen, what what would that be? Well, um, take advantage of the... um, Resources that are available now, they are finally making uh, resources available uh, and just be aware of what they are and do the best you can do to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the mayor made the mayor made promises during her election that homelessness would be a first priority. But she's not making due to her commitment as to taking care of the homeless workers. And we are frontline people. We're just as important to the uh, city of San Francisco as the hospital workers and the fire department and the paramedics. Because uh, we are dealing with the people off the streets. And we are having to deal with them firsthand before the police and them have to deal with them. Because they're coming in off the streets and we're having to deal with them. The only time they have contact with them is that... We have to call the police for Hello, Stanley, are you still there? Uh, yes. Yes, so you um 
yeah, you were saying that uh, you're dealing with some of the most vulnerable and at-risk populations in the city when it came to COVID-19, yeah. and you still didn't feel, uh, you didn't feel protected at, at work. There weren't enough uh, safety right. measures. Well, yes. well, thank you so very much for your call. I, I, I really appreciate it and uh, for being with us and, and sharing about your experience. Um, I hope you stay, you stay safe. Yes, you too. Well, that was, thank you. That was Stanley Edwards. Um, and we want to hear from you. Are you a frontline worker in the Bay Area? How has the pandemic affected your work? Have you felt safe from COVID-19 while at your job site? Call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email forum at kqed.org. Joining us for the rest of the hour is Susan Dovey. She's a staff attorney at the Labor Commissioner's Office at the California Department of uh, Industrial Relations. And Alejandra Domensain, Coordinator of Public Programs at the Labor and Occupational Health Program at the University of California, Berkeley. Welcome, Susan Dovey and Alejandra Domensain. Thank you. Happy to be here. And Alejandra, I'd like to start with you. You recently co-authored a report titled Few Options, Many Risks, Low-Wage Asian and Latinx Workers in the COVID-19 Pandemic. Um, you surveyed more than 600 low-wage workers, most of them in the Bay Area. Building on what Stanley was saying, um, what did you hear uh, from the frontline workers? Thank you, Farida. Yeah, so this was a partnership between the Asian Law Caucus, which is a legal and civil rights organization, and mine, which is Labor Occupational Health Program. And so we're both hearing worker stories every day about what's happening. And so we wanted a way to really kind of quantify it and, and systemize what are the patterns that we're seeing. And so we did this survey, as you mentioned, with mostly low-wage Asian and Latinx workers. We also conducted some interviews. And the clusters of the industries were in the restaurant industry, domestic and home health care, janitorial and hospitality, and day labor and landscaping. And so what we found were really disturbing um, trends that actually are borne out by other studies and experiences as well. So first of all, about one-fifth of workers are paid less than the minimum wage, which, you know, usually if employers are not doing the minimum, which is paying the minimum wage, they're probably cutting other corners as well. And, you you know, as you might imagine, most workers were very concerned. 80% had a concern. They had a concern about their health, about lack of protections, about how to support themselves if they had to take time off. And in fact, 20% were even concerned if they had to take leave, they wouldn't get their job back. So job security. And then we found that there was really inadequate information about protections. So one-fifth of the workers were getting no information about protections. And for those in the lower wage sectors, two-thirds, so the majority, had absolutely no information about what to do if they were sick or exposed. And three-fifths, another majority, had no information or misleading information about paid sick leave. So they didn't know that they could take time off to recover if they were sick. So this is huge. You can imagine the implications for contagion. Um, on top of that, many were facing workplace violence. So one third of respondents had had negative interactions with either clients or customers or coworkers who were not following guidelines. And for some industries, it's even higher. For restaurant workers, it was more than half. And so where, where does that leave workers? Well, many of them were not raising concerns. And the reason is they thought that nothing would change. 61% thought they didn't have confidence that the employer would address it. 
30% were afraid of retaliation, and then another 20% were worried about their immigration status, which put them at increased risk. And these are really well-founded fears because those that did speak up, actually, and more than half of them did, um, the employer didn't fully address the problem. And in fact, for 15%, they or their coworkers had been retaliated against for raising these, these issues. And we know that you know this is consistent with other studies. There was a color of change report that surveyed 3,000 workers and found one-fifth of workers um, fear employer retaliation, and it's even higher for Latinx and Black workers. Wow. And um, did you uh, did you ask them also about uh, personal protective equipment? Did they feel like they had enough uh, uh, masks and gloves and things they needed to stay safe? Yes, yeah, so absolutely not enough. Um, there was about a fifth that did not get any masks. Um, and for, again, for some industries, it was even higher. So for example, 41% of domestic and healthcare workers. And so you can imagine, these are workers that are often having very close contact if they're taking care of children or, or someone who's sick or elderly. And so for all, you know, a little under half not to have any masks. Um, and it was a consistent theme in the interviews that we did with workers as well, that they had to beg for masks or they got one and they were asked to use it 25 times or they had to bring their own. So, uh, you know, the same thing with distancing or physical barriers. So just absolutely not enough protection. Wow. Well, I want to go back to some of the issues that you're uh, talking about, Alejandra. I also want to call out to our listeners, if you're an essential worker, tell us how did the pandemic affect your life or livelihood? And did you feel safe at work? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. You're listening to Forum from KQED Public Radio Station. This is Farida Jabala Romero. We'll be right back after this break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Farida Javala Romero. We're taking stock of how the pandemic affected the livelihoods and safety of California's low-wage essential workers. Joining us now is Susan Dovey. She's staff attorney at the Labor Commissioner's Office at the California Department of Labor. And Alejandra Domensain, coordinator of public programs, the Labor of Occupational Health Program at the University of California, Berkeley. And Alejandra, I mean, you were mentioning a number of very serious concerns of uh, the workers you spoke with uh, for your survey. Um, And, you know, 
we know that there are protections in the state that aim to make the work site safer for people, like paid sick leave of at least up to 24 hours or three days of work. And employers must also provide face masks or reimburse workers for their costs, uh, you know, during the pandemic. And of course, pay minimum wage. Um, so what were the workers doing about their concerns? Were they trying to raise these uh, issues to their employers? You mentioned some of them face retaliation. Yeah, so you're right. We actually have some very clear mandates in California. In November 2020, Kelosha passed a standard that addresses all the things that you mentioned, you know, all the protective measures, the distancing, the ventilation, the air filtration, et cetera. And it's not just providing masks. They actually have to go through their workplace and identify, you know, where are the risks? Where could workers get sick or injured? And they have to have a plan before that happens to put measures in place, and they have to train the workers about it. And so with the new COVID standard, they have to exclude workers once they're exposed and maintain their pay and benefits. They're supposed to provide free testing during work time, um, notify workers in writing. So all these protections on paper, we have them. Um, what happens is in a ma many low wage um, sectors, you know, as, as you mentioned, there's a lot of fear. And, you know, we saw it in our study. There's been other studies as well that have confirmed that workers are in this kind of impossible situation. You know, they um, are showing up to a workplace where you know, they're facing health and safety risk even before the pandemic. A lot of times they're facing harassment from customers or their own supervisor. And this includes racial harassment, sexual harassment, even violence. They don't feel they can speak up because they know that they will be punished, you know, with less hours or even losing their job. They've seen it happen before and they can't afford that. They can't afford to lose even, you know, one day or one week's wages. And even if they did, they don't have a lot of job prospects available. They probably find a job that's more of the same. And all this for poverty wages, you know, they're probably paying a high proportion of their income to housing, they're paying for commuting because they probably can't live close to where they work, maybe childcare and elder care as well. So they're really, really stuck. And I just want to mention for undocumented workers, it's even more inhuman because here, if you speak up now, the risk is, you know, you could be ripped apart from your family, lose your, your spouse, your children, your house, everything that you built up sometimes over the course of a lifetime and end up in a country that you may not even longer know or ever knew, right? Where there's also no job prospects, you may not even be safe, your life might even be in danger and that's why you left. So how, when you're in this situation, just imagine the fear, right? Imagine what it takes to speak up. And so they feel this enormous pressure to just like put up and shut up and they don't know that they have a legal remedy. You know, they're not very confident about that. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a very uh, troubling, uh, you know, uh, situation, especially as we try as a society to uh, stop the spread of uh, COVID. And in the future, it might be other, you know, hopefully not other viruses like it, but uh, we may have other health crises in the in the future. So, Susan Dovey, I mean, you're a lawyer for the Labor Commissioner's Office. I understand your office investigates complaints of retaliation uh, for things related to uh, paid sick leave leave or raising health and safety concerns at the workplace. Can you comment on some of the issues that um, the workers, uh, you know, told Alejandra Domenzain uh, in this report? Yes, thank you for having me on. Um, the pandemic has certainly changed the workplace, but it has not reduced workers' labor rights or the enforcement of our labor laws. The Labor Commissioner's Office um, has a campaign that they that we've initiated in the last several months to let workers know about their labor rights. 
the campaign is focusing on low wage workers in the agricultural and the warehouse industries and the campaign is in Spanish um, as well. We have also put on, um, engaged in putting on our website a tool that's in English and Spanish that offers workers and employers a way to assess whether they have um, a claim for paid sick leave. And of course, as you mentioned, we enforce um, anti-retaliation provisions in these laws um, so that workers can raise their rights before the labor commissioner's office. Um, and so we have noticed that since the pandemic started that um, paid sick leave would not protect workers enough. And so laws were targeted to protect workers more um, for pandemic and COVID-19 related reasons. We needed more targeted laws. And so California first covered food sector workers um, with employers of over 500, 500 or more. And then later in the year last year covered all of those employers um, with 500 or more employees. We were filling a gap where the federal law left off in providing paid sick leave for workers um, for COVID related reasons. And then this year, um, the legislature has enacted a new law that we're enforcing that all employers with employers who have 26 or more employees um, have to provide paid sick leave for COVID specific reasons. The new law also covers vaccine appointments and vaccine side effects. And so the laws are meant to specifically provide um, COVID related relief to workers, including low wage workers that you're speaking about. The laws provide up to 80 hours of COVID specific relief for workers. Um, depending on the amount of time that they work, if they're part-time or full-time. And um, we would encourage workers that it's critical for workers to understand their rights better and their actions are critical in protecting themselves. We encourage workers to document what their experiences are at work so that they can measure those experiences against the legal requirements imposed on employers. Susan, and, and that law you mentioned, the one that uh, California uh, implemented to give people uh, more paid sick leave uh, for COVID-related reasons, that uh, only lasts until September 30th. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. The law was um, enacted in March and it's retroactive to January 1st of this year and then it'll stay in an effect and in effect until September 30th of this year. Great, that's good to know. Um, so let's get a caller on the show, um, Matt uh, from Oakland. Uh, welcome to Forum. Hi, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Um, I just wanted to raise uh, something from my experience. I worked formerly worked at a um, grocery delivery service here in the East Bay. And uh, one of my experiences was um, that because they um, classified us as independent contractors, it seemed like I had little and my coworkers and I had little or no re recourse when there was, for example, a positive test um, at our work site. You know, we're 
were jammed in like closet-like conditions, three or four people in a closet packing food into jars and things like that. Um, and I'm just curious if people could speak to the um, the independent contractor rules and, and how it's hard um, and what options might be um, for those of us that are classified that way. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for calling, Matt. Uh, Susan Dovey, would you like to take on that, that question? Sure. Um, when the law was passed last year to cover those large employers, um, it covered all workers. Um, and so it covered those workers last year who were classified as independent contractors. Um, so since that time, the laws have just covered employees um, this year. And so you would have to prove that you are misclassified as an independent contractor. And some of that could, um, could involve a complex determination depending on, um, you know, whether you're properly classified as an independent contractor today or not. But can people like Matt? Last year was meant to cover those workers. Um, so in 2020, um, the first law that was effective in April and was effective through sometime in December um, covered independent contractors. And can people like Matt get, uh, you know, easy to understand information about what they need to do and their protections uh, by calling your uh, agency or is there a, a place where they can find all that? Yes, we have two hotlines that people can use. One is LCO Info, the other is LCO SPSL. So I can give you those telephone numbers. The first one is 833-526-4636. Again, that's LCO info. And the second one is 855-526-7775. That's LCO SPSL. That's dedicated to supplemental paid sick leave issues. Um, also, you can look on our website for information. And the best way to get to our website is to go to www.dir.ca.gov and click on labor law. And from there, you'll get to a whole host of information regarding um, the rights that we enforce under the labor code. Great. Thank you so much. So, I mean, we're hearing uh, uh, from Alejandra Domenzain's uh, survey. They spoke with um, more than 600 uh, workers, mostly in the Bay Area, uh, and many of them had, uh, you know, uh, suspected or were reporting some serious violations of labor laws at their work site. Do we have a, 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 notion, a, a sense of what's the extent of these potential workplace violations in the state regarding, uh, you know, paid sick leave, especially now with, uh, with the pandemic uh, st still going? I understand the Labor Commissioner's Office has received more than a thousand COVID-related retaliation complaints. Um... I looked at those numbers and we have some COVID um, retaliation complaints. The numbers that I saw that we're currently investigating were under um, were under a thousand. Mm -hmm. So um, our numbers kind of stayed the same. We have developed an early engagement program in our retaliation unit. Um, where we look at um, right away 
we try to engage what's happened to the worker and get the worker on the telephone, perhaps call up, maybe it's a misunderstanding, and we try to resolve cases really easy, uh, quickly, then if we can't do that, it goes through our complaint process and we investigate the complaint and determine whether there's been a violation or not. We also have dedicated staff to assist um, in making calls. We have dedicated mailboxes for questions on COVID specific information. And we've developed FAQs on our website as well. Um, we also have a new tool on our website um, to make it easy for workers and employers to navigate through complex information to see if they should file a claim um, or for an employer to see if they're in compliance. And that tool um, for paid sick leave is on our website in English and in Spanish. Um, and so those are some tools for employees. Um, I don't know why our numbers stayed, it looks like kind of constant. Um, we have a little bit slightly less um, number of health and safety complaints than we had pre-pandemic. Um, and we are attempting to resolve these cases and reach every Californian with information regarding their rights. Wow, that's really interesting that you've received uh, fewer complaints now. I mean, Alejandra Domenzani, what do you think about that? Like, why Why is that? We. It sounds like there's a lot of onus on the uh, worker to report uh, complaints. Yeah, I think it's very difficult for, for low-wage workers, you know, and, and just to put it in context, paid leave is really, in this context, a life-or-death issue. And there's a recent study by Human Impact Partners that showed just Walmart alone could have prevented over 7,000 COVID cases and saved 133 lives if they had adequate paid leave. So it really is important, especially now. But what happens is employers often illegally um, don't give the mandated leave, right? So there's a study among janitors that one-fourth were denied leave or study about McDonald's workers, 75% of the stores offered no paid leave. So the reality on the ground is that many employers are not doing it. Many workers don't know that they have the right. And if they do, they're afraid to speak up and do it. And so what happens is also a lot of workers are afraid to go to a government agency for good reason, especially if they're if they're undocumented. There's been such a persecution of immigrants um, and there's the fear of public charge. There's just so many aspects to it. And so it's hard for them to navigate that process. Process. And, you know, even when they do, it's 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 a lengthy process. Um, it may not result in a tangible benefit. So there's a huge risk and not a not a guaranteed benefit. And it's also very easy for employers to say you have to prove the onus is on you to prove that the reason they cut your hours or the reason they fired you is because you asked for a mask or asked for paid leave. And so the employer can easily say, oh, no, I did it because business was slow. You're not a, not a good worker. And it's very hard to prove legally. So, I mean, we could look at retaliation differently, which is, you know, as Susan was saying, let's prevent it, you know, can the Labor Commissioner's Office continue this effort to intervene early to try to educate employers about what they're not supposed to do and to solve it before it escalates. But then also, you know, can we maybe have it so it's the other way around? Let's say if a worker speaks up and faces some punishment, you know, after speaking up, can we just presume that it was retaliation and then put the onus on the employer to prove that it wasn't? And so there's there actually a law right now that's pending that would do that for health and safety um, concerns. You know, that if you request PPE or 
or you report a violation or you, you know, um, say that you have a positive test, that if you're punished, you know, within 90 days of that, it would be assumed that it was retaliation. Wow. Well, I want to get back to that. I also want to read a comment uh, from a listener. David writes, how long is it currently taking to process claims for unpaid wages at the California Labor Department for claims that are getting hearings now when they were filed? And you were mentioning, Alejandra, it's a, it's a lengthy process for many of these claims. Uh, Susan Dovey, would you like to answer that question from David? Yes, thank you for the question. We have established a dedicated staff to expedite um, paid sick leave claims. And so um, we're trying to fast track those when people file. Um, our claims process, we have a lot of claims and so it does take a while. Um, that's why we've developed early resolution programs so we can try to resolve cases very quickly if that's possible. And if not, then they go through um, you know, the claims process, which could take a while. Um, and it's important to know that all workers in California have rights, no matter what their immigration status is, in response to um, what Alejandra was talking about. And it's important, as I stated, that workers keep track of their hours every day. Um, and they, the paid sick leave law does have a presumption in it um, if retaliation happens within a certain number of days. Um, and so there are some presumptions that are in the law already regarding Thank paid sick leave. Yes, we'd like to talk more, more about those. Um, if you're an essential worker, tell us how did the pandemic affect your life? What are your questions about safety measures for essential workers and frontline workers? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. Or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. You're listening to Forum. From KQED Public Radio, I'm Farida Javala Romero. We'll be right back after this break. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Farida Javala Romero. And now we're going to bring in the perspective of small business owners and employers. Joining us now is John Kabatek, California State Director of the National Federation of Independent Business. John Kabatek, welcome to Forum. Well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. So your organization advocates for um, advocates for small business owners. Uh, we know many of them have really struggled to survive during the pandemic. How has, uh, you know, these um, California rights like supplemental paid sick leave uh, because of COVID worked out for small business owners? 
Yeah, well, thank you so much. It's great to be here. The National Federation of Independent Business, we actually are a Bay Area-born organization. We're nationwide, but uh, we represent about 15,000 small businesses across the state, about 300,000 across the nation. And we are finding a lot of challenges right now. You know, I think the biggest thing we are hearing from small business owners right now is they're just they're, the confusion in these past 12 to 14 months of all of the different rules, regulations, and laws at every level, local, state, and federal. Um, so, you know, I, I want to first say, you know, we salute those frontline workers, those essential workers, and all the workers, the men and women out there um, during these very difficult past uh, 12 to 14 months. Um, but one of the things that's important in this discussion is to make sure that, you know, our policymakers are not only doing all that they can um, to create an environment that's safe for workers, but also making sure they're creating an environment that allows those small businesses to continue to be in business. Uh, and one of the biggest challenges we hear from the, the mom and pops out there, the, the corner retail store in Oakland or Berkeley or across the state is um, that, that there's just so many laws that have come at them that's so confusing that number one, they're having a hard time understanding how to comply. Uh, but on to top of that, the big fear they're, they're anticipating is you know these shakedown lawsuits that might be coming from attorneys kind of like we saw years ago with the Americans with Disability Act. Well-intentioned laws, but so confusing for small business owners and no time to correct. Um, so right now, we just what we want to do is make sure there's a, our small business owners out there, they, they're not like big corporations. They don't have the big teams, the administrative teams or legal teams um, to understand and go through all these laws. We want to make sure the small business owners have better clarity. We're glad to hear the Labor Commissioner's Office is doing more there, but a lot more can be done on that front. We're talking about how the pandemic affected the livelihoods and safety of California's low-wage frontline workers. Uh, with Susan Dovey, she's a staff attorney at the Labor Commissioner's Office. Alejandra Domenzain with the Labor Occupational Health Program at the University of California, Berkeley. And John Kabatek, California State Director at the National Federation of Independent Business. If you're an essential worker, tell us, how did the pandemic affect you? What are your questions about safety measures for essential workers? Give us a call now at 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. And John Kabatek, I mean, you're mentioning there's so much information um, to keep track of as a small business owner in terms of regulations and um, and laws. Um, can you tell us about what do small business owners need uh, to better implement things like paid sick leave that have proved so essential during the pandemic? Sure. Well, as I said, uh, you know, certainly first and foremost is more clarity and understanding. I think, uh, you know, Dr. Galley at the state level, certainly our, our local health officers, uh, the labor commissioner's office and others are doing all they can to get that information out to small businesses. But that real clarity, that streamlining, I know the governor's office of business and economic development has done a great job of trying to do that at, at their website. Uh, but I think right now we need to make sure, number one, there's more clarity in the law and all of the different rules that are out there. Number two, we need to make sure that our policymakers are not unintentionally overreaching with too many laws, too many uh, costly programs that can hurt a small business owner and put them out of business. And right now, to put things into perspective, there are right now in California well over 13 different employee leave programs even before COVID happened. Um, so to heap new costly programs and expect a mom and pop that right now is struggling if they have any money in the bank is asking a lot for them. So creating programs that are well-intentioned 
but aren't going to bleed a small business owner. Um, and then on top of that, the other part of it is making sure we're giving those small business owners the protections against those scheming plaintiff's attorneys who we are confident are, are kind of the next big freight train going to be preying on these vulnerable mom and pops. The, what we hear from our small business owners out there is that, you know, their frontline worker, their front desk person, their sous chef, this is family to them. Not only are they vital to their business, but these are people that are their extended family. We've got to make sure that small businesses stay open. Our recent reports showed that one in four small business owners uh, in California is destined to close. Restaurants, well over 30%. we got to do more to make sure the mom and pops can survive so they can continue to provide a good environment. And our policymakers need to better understand that. Yes, and as you mentioned, I mean, many business owners uh, do protect the workers, you know, follow the law as best as they can. Um, but what's your sense about why small business owners may not be following these protections for workers in the law? I mean, you're mentioning maybe they don't know about uh, about them or it just hurts the bottom line. What's your take on that? Yeah, well, and I think there is an assumption that a lot of small business owners aren't doing the right thing. But taking employee leave, for example, our recent studies showed that um, nationwide, uh, 75% of small business owners are providing some sort of employee paid leave program. About 96% are providing some sort of comprehensive leave package. So I think it's patently false to assume small business owners aren't doing their, the right thing when, when we're seeing that, that they are. Um, but I think what we need to make sure is those those who, who are, are not complying with the law, they should be held to the full account. We have very stringent labor laws in the state um, to, to the credit of our leaders uh, that and labor laws and employee leave programs that are in place to make sure. But we need to make sure, first and foremost, these small business owners better understand the laws um, and that they're also better um, able to really have the fairness of a time to correct because this is this is very difficult time for them. They're just trying to get their PPP loans, let alone trying to understand the heaping paper that's coming at them at every level. Thank you. Um, so we have a comment from a listener. Matt writes, I worked at a cannabis delivery service for most of the pandemic. When things got really bad at the start, they um, watered down soap containers put up plastic barriers that weren't protective at mouth level and basically stopped spending any money that wasn't completely necessary to bringing in revenue. Um, would, would Susan Dovey, would you like, would you like to respond uh, to that comment? Thank you. Um, well, all businesses, um, as Alejandra mentioned, have to comply with um, the Cal OSHA standards. I don't work for Cal OSHA, but you know, they need to look at that and comply with those with the safety standards. So something that um, John uh, Kabatek was mentioning is um, for business owners, for employers that um, that are not following the law on, on these very important protections, such as paid sick leave and other health and safety concerns. I mean, we, we do have um, uh, these labor uh, enforcement uh, agencies like yours, the Labor Commissioner's Office, um, who are um, investigating complaints. Um, do you feel like you have enough capacity to really enforce these laws and protect uh, all workers in the state? Well, that's what our goal is. And we've developed a business engagement program through the Labor Commissioner's Office where we conduct seminars with business groups so that employers can better understand what their rights are um, and what their obligations are under the law. 
Um, so we partner with different um, business associations so that we can educate employers as to what their obligations are. Um, we also, as I stated earlier, we developed the, this tool that employers and employees can use that's on our website so they, they can measure what their compliance is under the paid sick leave laws that are in place in California. We've also developed a lot of charts because um, there are a lot of different laws that have come into play um, to specifically address COVID-19 and the public health emergency that we've all faced over this past year. And so what the Labor Commissioner's Office and the Labor Agency has done is we've put up comparison charts of the different laws so people know where the laws come into play, what could apply to them in different ways. And so the Labor Commissioner's Office um, has put together a lot of tools so we can try to meet um, you know, people, employers and workers um, to address the public health threat that we've all faced over this past year. What about for investigations and, um, you know, inspections? On, are, are you doing on-site inspections? Do you have enough uh, uh, staffers to, um, to get investigations done quickly? Well, we do investigate um, work sites, and we have a Bureau of Field Enforcement Unit um, that, w that investigates workplace, um, kind of workplace-wide complaints. Um, so workers can, can file report of labor law violations if they see something that's happening in the whole workforce, um, and then we can investigate it through that program. Adida, would you mind if I if I add to that? Um, yes, Alejandra, please go ahead. Yeah, because I think that's such a great question. And so I think it's really important that we consider lots of different strategies. You know, so the kind of proactive approaches that Susan's referring to, we have such great leadership right now at the Labor Commissioner's Office. And so with more resources, you know, that they'd be able to respond more promptly. They'd be able to do some of these proactive field enforcement efforts that she's describing. Um, with Kalosha that isn't represented today, the same, they have such important work to do. And we have such great laws on the books. And so you know, if you have like 11 or 12 inspectors per million workers, it's not enough. It's not enough for, you know, one of the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world to be able to meet the need. And so I would say, absolutely, let's give these agencies all the resources they need to do the important work they have to do. And then, you know, to John's point, like, absolutely, let's support the businesses that are law abiding, right? This isn't a, a workers against businesses. It's a win-win. If, you know, we know who these big corporations are, that their business model depends on robbing people of their wages, their their health, um, you know, their people are depending on public benefits, even though they're working full time. If that's your business model, then, you know, we can't afford those kind of jobs. And so and it's not fair. It's not fair for those that are playing by the rules and providing the jobs that they have to compete with these low, low road actors. So we need the, the enforcement. We need the employer accountability. And then the other thing that hasn't been brought up is we need to amplify worker voice. There's such a big power imbalance in the workplace. Workers 
leaders are the experts on what's going on. They know what the problem is. They know what's going to work. They're going to implement the solution. So they need a real seat at the table. You know, and this can take the form of a union. It can take the form of worker centers. It can take the form of a health and safety committee or in Los Angeles County, there's a model to establish public health councils where workers are protected from retaliation and really expected to bring up the issues so their business can comply. So it's really just such an opportunity right now to, to address the structural issues so that we go back to a new normal where you know things are healthier and more just and more sustainable for, for everyone, for businesses, for workers, for communities, and, and for our economy. Ellie, uh, oh yeah, I, I just wanted to... Oh, yeah. John, did you want to? No, just a real quick comment. I just wanted to add on top of that, that, you know, I think it is just coming back. I think we're all saying similar things in that it really comes down to excellent education and fluid education for the employees, for the small business owners. Uh, We're very fortunate to have at the SBA now as the chief administrator, Isabel Guzman, who was the governor's small business advocate here in California. Um, And so she really understands California issues, though she'll be helping the whole nation. Um, And then GoBiz. And I think what we're hearing from the labor commissioner's office and then groups like FIB uh, and chambers of commerce out there who can get that information out to these small business owners and to the workers, you know, and to our communities. I think it's got to be collaborative. Uh, we can't be fighting against each other. We got to make sure it's education. Nobody's been to this rodeo before, and hopefully we never return to it. Um, but we want to make sure if that does happen, that there is that regular information that's really clear and fluid and getting out there. I'd like to bring in a comment from a listener. Ellie writes, the state has failed to provide any kind of unemployment safety net for undocumented workers. In the Safety Net for All Coalition, we have warehouse workers who are immunocompromised, caring for older relatives who have continued to work because they have no choice. We have a restaurant worker who lost her job and told her teenage children to nap more so that they'd eat less and save money. We need a permanent unemployment insurance type system for all workers so we don't deal with this problem problem over and over. Alejandra Domenzain, would you like to um, comment on that? Is it is it accurate that uh, undocumented workers don't have any kind of unemployment um, safety net? I mean, I think undocumented workers are excluded for, from a lot of protections. And as we talked about, even when they technically quantify, many are really terrified um, because in an environment where there's the public charge, where their people are prosecuted for coming forward, it's it's a very big fear. And I think those are the stories that are really heartbreaking that we hear. You know, we heard it from in our in our study from a fast food worker that was told you don't have paid leave, even though she was COVID positive. She was sleeping on the floor where her mask to protect her husband or five-year-old you know her little kid saying don't you love me anymore why don't you hug me and then it happened you know she her hours were cut she was retaliated against and, and actually her co-workers were told don't help her or you're going to face the same fate and we hear these stories over and over that um, the reality is that there is such a fear and it's a well-founded fear and until we address that all the labor rights on paper will not be enough there's also uh, another comment from uh, David who wrote earlier and he has a follow-up question. He wants a little um, he was asking um, about how long it takes to get a hearing at the California Labor Department um, uh, for complaints. Uh, is, is it over a year? Is it over two years? He asks, please be specific. Susan Dovey, um, can you answer that question, please? It depends on the office. Some of our offices are more impacted than others. So it depends on where the claim is. And again, if it's a COVID specific um, wage claim that we're attempting to fast track those claims. And so it kind of depends. I can't give a stock answer on how long it takes, but we do have a lot of claims 
and we're trying to get to them, but there are, um, you know, certain backlogs and sometimes they're not as quick as we'd like it to be. Is there a recourse for uh, people like David? I mean, can they contact directly uh, the inspectors that are, you know, working on their uh, claim or um, what's the best way for them to get more information? Yes, we're working remotely. And so um, you can contact our office. You can contact the deputy who's handling your claims. We're handling conferences um, by phone. We're handling hearings by Zoom and by phone. And so most definitely call um, the investigator who's working on your case, um, follow up, send an email. We have email boxes where you can ask about your cases at Labor.com. And so, yes, follow up on your case. There's another listener that tweets, elephant in room. There's hardly any enforcement of safety measures and big business fights any effort to resource that. Putting info on a website is not helpful without hands-on assistance and stronger enforcement. Um, Susan Dovey, would you like would you like to comment? I think they're talking about safety complaints and they're talking about something other than what the labor commissioner enforces. Um, but we should, um, we do need enforcement um, of our laws and we're doing that. We're putting out information, we're enforcing the laws and I don't know what else I can say about that. Uh, well, we'll be sure to keep tracking this uh, as the pandemic, hopefully we get out of this pandemic and into the future. Um, thank you so much for joining us. We've been talking about how the pandemic affected low-wage essential workers. Thank you to Susan Dovey with the California Department of Labor, Alejandra Domensain with the Labor Occupational Health Program at the University of California, Berkeley, and John Kabatek with the National Federation of Independent Businesses. We spoke earlier with Stanley Ed Edwards. You've been listening to um, Forum. I'm Farida Javala Romero. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening 
because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.